Right, so welcome everybody to our training today. My name is Kimberly and I'm founder of Casey Consultancy, which is an international hub for supporting early years teaching, training and inspiration. And with all the work that I try to do and all about empowering early educators to be the very best version of themselves by creating that perfect blend of professional knowledge and development alongside valuing your self-care and your well-being. So welcome, welcome to our training, our free training as well today. Always good to pick up a freebie, isn't it? I'm always one for a freebie anyway. So the focus of our training is that we're going to be thinking about the outdoor learning environment, but in particular, the nursery or early years garden. Thinking about ways that we can help children reconnect with nature and how we can improve our own enjoyment for our job as well by spending more time outside and making that connection too. So today's training provides you with a little bit of a snippet of what things are like if you're a member inside my members hub. And I decided to create an online membership site for the people that I work with and my clients because when I was working as an early years teacher, I found that there were times in my career where I would get stuck or I was a little bit unsure what to do. And at the time, all the training out there was so expensive. And my school that I worked in, it was a school-based nursery, just didn't have the budget to send me on all the courses that I needed to go on. And because we were quite a small school, I didn't really have colleagues that I could bounce ideas off. Um, Alongside that, we were pretty rural as well in North Yorkshire. So it wasn't as though I could just pop along to the school down the road from me and find out what they were doing. I felt very much alone. So one of the things that I wanted to do was develop a range of training that you can access. Some of it's for free, like today's session. Some of it is a lot more low cost, like our members hub. And then some of the training is a little bit more pricey, but it's for those that want to go on a year long journey to really um, invest the time into reflecting and developing their practice. So with our members hub, because this training that we're doing today is very typical of what you might find in the hub, you are able to access four core modules which help you have a quick transformation with your early years practice using all of the knowledge and tools that I learned from all my um, studying and self-reflection and practice that I've done and then you can dip in and out of all of the other modules that I have as well in there so we've got modules by James at Loose Parts We've got modules by Greg Bottrell, author of Can I Go and Play Now? And so if you want to find out more about my membership site, it only opens once a year and that time's now. Make sure you stay listening till the end of the training and I'll tell you a lot more about it and how you can be part of it as well. But for now, let's get started on today's session. So we're thinking about nature. So why is it so important that we allow young children to connect with nature. Well, I think all across the world, really, we can recognize the fact that more and more children are having access to screen time that's um, out of balance, it's out of sync, really. And because of this, children are 
spending less and less time outdoors. Their parents are also spending less and less time outside as well. So they're showing a disconnection with nature. In fact, a recent study carried out in America showed that the average American could only identify four or five plants um, or trees in the outdoor area. So that's again showing us that we need to try and build on our own knowledge, doesn't it? Um, another problem that we're seeing here in the UK, and I know America and Canada are experiencing this as well, is the fact that we've got a large number of children that have got what we call compartmentalized syndrome. So children under the age of four that are moving from one thing to the next. So for example, they wake up, they're in their cot. They then move from their cot from the help of a parent and they get popped into a high chair. And then from the high chair, they get put into a buggy or a push chair. So the child's really missing out on key movement time. And I don't know if you're actually aware of this, but the guidelines here in the UK from um, the National Heart Foundation say that really children underneath, underneath, under, sorry, under the age of five should be having at least three hours of active movement a day. Three hours. Now, I'm not saying that that three hours has to be them running around at full speed the whole time. But they need to be getting out, they need to be walking, they need to be exploring and climbing and developing all the muscle strength in their bodies. So one of the ways that we can naturally build this into our day is through having our times to work outside in our, in our garden area or connecting with nature. So let's have a little bit of a think about that now. I'm actually going to turn me off now. You've looked at me for far too long and I'm going to pop you onto the photographs that I'm going to share with you today. So bear with me just a moment while I swap those over. So I'm just going to shut my video down for a second. Don't worry if you've just joined, I've not disappeared. And we are going to share my photographs now. So let's just check that we're heading to the right bit. To our desktop, to PowerPoint. Oh. Where have we gone, PowerPoint? Oh, we're over here. Oh, there we go. So, our early years garden. Hopefully you can still all hear me okay. If you can't, do drop me a message in the chat box and I will try and address that for you as part of our training. So, this, when I started as a teacher, this is my outdoor provision. This is what I inherited. So as you can see, it was predominantly concrete. Areas have been created by pretty much fencing off the main school playground. So we had a high brick wall, fencing all around and a concrete playground underneath. We were really lacking in nature. And as you can see here, we've got what I like to call a woodland kitchen. I call it a woodland kitchen because for me, it shouldn't just be about bringing mud into the area, but it should be about bringing in lots of nature. So your pine cones, acorns, leaves, twigs, sticks, a richness that we can get from the woodland floor. Now, when I looked at our woodland kitchen, we had nothing to use, it was so bare. And so we had to think as a team, what can we do to enhance this, to bring in the nature elements? 
So we started quite quickly by getting some recycled pots, mainly from our gardens or the gardens of um, families that came to our setting. And we began planting herbs. So we had things like mint, rosemary, thyme, parsley, cat mint, lavender. So the children could start using these then within their play and in their imaginative ways of working. And I think the great thing about having herbs is that you can easily um, take a cut in from somebody else's and you can plant it in a pot and it usually takes quite well. They're usually quite easy to grow. Um, so we found that a really good way to bring some nature into the area. And it was also very cost effective as well. We didn't really have to spend any money doing that. So this is a photograph looking at another part of our outdoor area. Now, as you can see, we had a tarmacked area. Part of it was tarmacked, part of it was flagged. And we had some raised beds constructed into our area so that we could then put some low-level planting in. Now, the beauty of the raised beds was that we could have children looking directly at what was in front of them because if we're planting at ground level or we're hanging things up in hanging baskets children don't always see that they're there so having the raised beds allowed everything that we grew to be at child height so that they were able to notice and comment and observe on the things that were happening there now, in our raised beds, we planted some really easy things to grow, things like nasturtiums. Now, nasturtiums, they have this most beautiful orange or yellow flower, and they can go crazy if you let them. Our nasturtiums, as you can see here in the picture, really took off. They just went crazy. And it was good because it brought in lots of colour. The bees loved them, and it gave the children something to be talking about, to use the backdrop in their small world play as well. So nasturtiums was one of the things that we planted. We also planted things like tomatoes and strawberries. And we planted these at the edge of where our fence was so that we could almost create an edible boundary to our outside area. We grew things like sunflowers and sweet peas things that were really easy for young children to grow. So these work really, really well for our children and they suddenly enhanced the area so much more and the area looked attractive. You wanted to go and spend time in it. So they were a few little things that we tried and we really didn't spend too much money doing it. Now you might be thinking, what about the raised beds? What about those? Surely you had to invest in them. We did, we went to the local timber yard and we picked up some sleepers that hadn't been treated with anything. And we had the help of our parents and local community to help us install these. So we did spend a little bit of money, but, but not too much. It was very cost efficient. We also reclaimed things like pallets and we used these um, next to pots so that we could plant things like strawberries up against them or even like the nasturtiums and tomatoes so that we could use these as almost like an edible frame to help support the growth of growth of the things that we had. Now as I said we had lots and lots of concrete and that was a huge barrier to our outdoor area. 
we were very inner city, so we didn't have at this point here, um, in this particular setting, lots of uh, nature around us. So we had to try and bring it in as much as we could using things like the potted plants, visiting our local garden centres, asking parents for seed donations, donations of cuttings from our friends and our relatives, so that we could start to bring that nature in. Now here's a photograph from one of my lovely, lovely members, Camila. Camila is a childminder and she's been showing us recently on her Instagram feed how she creates growing opportunities when she has quite a limited space. So here Camila's been growing some tomatoes just on her windowsill and the learning opportunities have just been vast. If you follow her on Instagram, you'll see more ideas. But in this particular post, she talks to us about how the children are recognizing the things that they're growing, talking about the size and the color, the shape, what they're going to use their tomatoes for, whether they like tomatoes, maybe they don't. So lots of interesting discussion going on that really promotes key language. Now, if you can, it's really good to be thinking about the types of creatures that we've got living in our outdoor area. Now, as I said, our area was predominantly concrete, so we had to get things like um, reclaimed pallets, um, log piles brought in, recycled materials like bits of old planters, um, old pots so that we could pop them into um, a little area of our outdoor space and we could encourage our mini beasts to go and live there and what they need is a really quiet space where they're not going to get interrupted and the children can just come and look at them every now and again and see what what's there but this was really um, the key part of the provision that we developed ponds now we weren't lucky enough to have our own pond unfortunately but i know some of you do and obviously whenever we're working with children that are around water we need to make sure that we're following some special health and safety guidance making sure that if you have your own pond that you have a fence around it so that children can't go into the area unsupervised it's also worth having a metal frame as well or a wire frame that you can place on top of the pond that again just stops children from falling in if, um, if they do get access to the area unsupervised. But I think the beauty of spending time near water is it's so therapeutic. So you could go for a walk to one of your local ponds, take a little group with you and spend some time observing the wildlife that lives in there, maybe do some pond dipping. If any of you are local to Leeds, we've got a wonderful nature reserve near us. It's called the Rodley Nature Reserve. It's completely free to go to, and children can do things like pond dipping, go to the visitor centre, find out about all the different wildlife that spends time living in the, in the natural pond area. And it really is just a great place to go and explore, and it's so quiet too, and uh, a nice relaxing place to visit. 
Now, here's a photograph from one of my other members. This is from Laura. Laura, you might know her by her other name, Stonehenge Childcare. She really does have quite a following now on Instagram, and I'm really proud of her. She really creates some beautiful invitations to encourage children to deepen their understanding of particular aspects and elements of learning. So she's created here an invitation to find out more about the birds. So maybe you could stand back in your provision today and think, right, what opportunities do we have to make that connection with nature? Could we maybe um, make some bird boxes? I remember a few years ago working with one of our joiners who was a parent and they had children in my class. And we did some woodwork together to make some lovely wooden bird boxes. And then we painted them in lots of beautiful colours, lots of natural colours as well. So they blended in. And we hung these up around our outdoor area. And again, these were really special. And I think because the children made them themselves, they were very keen to observe and see which birds were visiting. I also included, um, as part of our provision, a bird watching area. So all it took was a big cargo type net and we just got a table and we made almost like a den frame with it so that children could go in there and they could be really quiet and just watch and see what they could find. I included some tool belts in there with little notepads and pencils, um, things like binoculars, bird identification sheets, just to help build up the children's own understanding of it. Now, as you're thinking about your provision today, as I said, we, we struggled with bringing nature inside. So we had to try and think about inventive ways of making and creating flowery parts of our provision to make it feel more attractive. Um, so we planted lots of things in pots and in our raised beds. And we really wanted to try and plant as many things as we could that would encourage the bees and the ladybirds and the butterflies to come and visit our area. We wanted children to be fully immersed in the experience, to have the opportunity to look closely at the bees and not be scared of them because our bees do such a wonderful job. For children to have the opportunity to dress up as the different mini beasts. We had things like long veils and wings so that children could move gracefully like the mini beasts they were experiencing. We gave children the opportunity to create their own observational drawings and paintings of the wildlife and of the things growing outside. So we had um, maybe some log slices that children could rest on, um, which, ha which helped to create a nice firm resting place to paint or draw onto. Um, and then we could use our interactions with the children to support the learning that was going on. Now, I don't know if you know this, but bees absolutely love purple flowers. Their eyesight is drawn to the colour purple more than any other colour. So it's great to have purple plants in your outside area. Things like lavender, cat mint, buddleia plants, they are great for encouraging the bees to come and collect the nectar from them. Now often we get lots of intricate plants, lots of really beautiful plants, maybe they've got lots of little petals, 
But these are actually not so great for the bees. The bees find it a lot trickier to collect the pollen from them. So really we want to go for things like sing singular dahlias um, because they make it easier for the bees to, to collect from. And then deheading our plants on a regular cycle allows the plants to carry on growing and thriving. So get your children involved in this. Spend time as part of your tidying up routine, perhaps, of walking around your area and looking at the plants and thinking, do they need a water? Do they need deheading? Because we want to encourage the bees to keep coming back to our lovely space that we've created. My last point here on bees that encourage, sorry, on plants that encourage bees is having tubular plants. Things like snapdragons, foxgloves. These are great because the bees can really get inside them and they can get the nectar out much more easily. So there we go, a few facts on how you could create a bee-friendly garden. Worms next. So children, just tend to be fascinated in observing worms, wondering things like what do they eat? How long are they? How do they move? Some of the questions that I've had from my children is, do worms even have bones in their body? What happens when a worm gets stuck and it ends up breaking off in half? Why doesn't the worm die? Here's another interesting fact for you. Did you know that a worm has got four hearts? So that means that even if it does get broken up into segments, it can carry on living because it's got a heart in that segment that will carry on pumping the blood around the body. So there's an interesting fact that you can share with your children. Perhaps you could create a wormery. This could be done either inside or you could have it out. And it's so fascinating to watch and see how the worms move around. So maybe give that a go. It's something very cheap to make and it doesn't take a lot of time. Another thing that we popped into our um, outdoor space was we created this sensory garden by encouraging lots of barefoot learning as well. So we created some different zones along our sensory path. Um, that were filled with different materials, things like pebbles or bark or teeny tiny gravel or wood chippings so that children could experience and feel with their toes the, the different senses as they went along. So that worked really well and it didn't take much to make either. We ended up going to a builder's merchant's telling the builders merchants about who we were and that we worked with young children and would, would it be possible if they had any materials free if we could have some to help um, develop our outside area and so the builders merchants gave us all of these bits for no cost at all and um, yeah I think it took a couple of hours to actually lay the path but as you can see it's a really great resource to have as part of our outdoor space. So if you're thinking about gardening and you want to get more into gardening, here's a handy checklist of some of the equipment that would be good to get you started. So things like having a water butt so you can collect the natural rainfall and you can reuse this to be watering your plants. I like to have a range of jerry cans as well so that I can move these around my outdoor area easily and we can use them in our watering of other herbs or the plants but also in the woodland kitchen. 
watering cans, spray bottles, compost bin. Try and get into the healthy habit of taking your fruit waste at the end of the day and popping it into a compost bin. This is really good sustainable practice. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, but in the TTS catalogue, I'm not advertising this, it's just something I've seen. They offer planters with transparent sides, which is great for looking at the growth of a plant and seeing the roots and how the root system works to anchor down the plant into the soil. So I think these are a really lovely um, resource. If you've got a little bit of money that you could spend to resource your outdoor area, I think these would be a really good, good thing to invest in. Now, we want to be encouraging children to be physically active, remembering what I talked about right at the beginning, about the lack of movement that 91% of children under the age of four are experiencing at the moment. So these children are not having enough physical activity as part of their day. So we can easily bring this into our practice by having things like the wheelbarrows for children to be moving around having a nice big digging space that children can be um, using with the spades to develop all that upper body strength as well. Also, um, things that you might want to look into getting, things like your seed trays. You can easily pick these up from recycled um, garden centres, from people that have had them that no longer want them anymore. Um, perhaps you could look at also asking for donations from your parents too, this would be really handy. Um, and then yeah, just a few other bits on there as well, like the twine that you might need to secure your plants as they start to grow up. Um, plant labels, I just tend to use lollipop sticks for this and have children and adults writing directly onto the lollipop sticks. I think um, this works fine and again, it's low cost. So if you've got babies and toddlers, what can you do to really promote gardening for them? Well, I like to create treasury baskets for my youngest learners. Having things in there that might have been grown in your outside area or making that connection with nature from things that you've collected from a recent trip to the shop. Things like apples, peas in pods, sweet potatoes, um, bananas, cauliflowers, carrots. Things that children can just investigate with all of their senses. They can pop them in their mouth if they want to. They can explore them with their fingertips. Another thing I like to do in summer for young babies is have a water tray and add in slices of lemon or orange. Again, it really just ignites the senses. And then barefoot learning, encouraging our youngest of children to be barefoot on the nice warm summer grass. It really does help with all that key brain development. Now, if you watch my morning live shows that I do every morning at seven o'clock over on Instagram, you might have heard me talking about foraging. So, I am very big into the way the Scandinavians live their life. And when I've spent my time over in Scandinavia, one of the things that we do an awful lot is we go out into the local area, up a mountain, into the woods, and we forage for food, picking up elderflowers and making elderflower cordial. 
going hunting at the end of the summer for blackberries or raspberries, bringing them back and enjoying making a lovely raspberry or blackberry crumble, foraging for mushrooms and making lovely mushroom risottos. So there are a few of the things that I like to cook and make as part of me in my personal life, but also we can go foraging with our children. We can teach children about things that are safe to eat and things that are not. Pebbles Childcare, who are members of my Who Got In Early Years accreditation, are so big into foraging. Chloe and Bridget go out during all the seasons looking for things that they can make with their children. So they even have things like the elderflower cordial that they make together and enjoy as part of their daily practice. Here's an idea of how you can try and use some natural loose parts as part of your everyday provision. So going out into the maybe local area if you don't have um, many things growing in your outside area at the moment and talking to the children about how we can collect fallen leaves or flower petals that have blown in the wind and how we can bring these, collect them and bring these back to our area and create patterns with them. So many opportunities to investigate pattern, arrangement, symmetry, fractions even, counting. So many learning opportunities there. You could even combine some of these natural materials with your Play-Doh as well. That's what we did in this slide here. So you can see how one child, this child was in reception, how they had made this gorgeous flower using the Play-Doh and the fallen petals that they'd collected. Some of you that have been following me now for a little while on social media will see that we've been planting beans. And I've had so much interest in these stories that I've been popping on about the beans. People asking, what kind of beans did you use? So these are runner beans. And what we did was we pop one runner bean into a jam jar along with some kitchen uh, towels. And we just added a little bit of water and the beans began to germinate and after a few days, didn't take very long, we started to see the roots appear and then the shoots. Now, we kept watering it and probably after about a week and a half, we very carefully removed the bean from the jar and we popped it into some soil in a pot and we let it grow inside for a little bit longer, probably about another week or two till it gained some strength and then we moved it into our outside area and these learning opportunities that we had as part of our bean growing exercise were just amazing so much language so much prediction about what was going to happen what we should do next what we could use the beans for and of course, we brought in some fabulous stories into the mix as well. So we had a look at um, Jasper's Beanstalk, Jack and the Beanstalk. We looked at other stories around growth as well, like the enormous turnip. And we predicted, do you think that our bean will grow as big as the enormous turnip? We did lots of maths, growing, measuring as well. So you can really see the potential on all areas of, of the curriculum that growing has. Perhaps you are really short for space. Maybe you're a childminder or you've got a very limited outside area. How about using some pots 
to create some nature or small world backdrops. So here you can see we've got a couple of pots. One we've made into a fairy garden because of the interest of the children. Um, but you might think, well, my children are not really into fairies. What could I do? How about look at what they, they like? And it might be dinosaurs. And you might think, right, I'm going to plant lots of different types of grasses in a pot and allow the children to use the dinosaurs in it to create their own stories. So there are a few ideas that you might want to do and you could link some books and text to it as well. Um, you might decide if your outdoor area is so small that you bring this inside as well. Another way that you can bring that natural element um, to the children. Now, I had a go at making some dandelion Play-Doh this week. Um, never made dandelion Play-Doh before. Made lots of other kinds of Play-Doh, but never dandelion Play-Doh. So we have noticed on the field near us that lots and lots of dandelions had grown and it was about time for the grass cutter to come and yeah, get rid of all the lovely dandelions. So we thought before that happened, we would actually collect some up. We got a big handful of them and we um, used this to make our Play-Doh. So the recipe that we used, and I will send this across to you as well in an email because I know lots of you will want it. So we had two cups of flour, we had two teaspoons of cream of tartar, one third a cup of salt, and one cup of boiling water, and a handful of daffodils. So the method that we followed, so we started by popping a handful of daffodils into the boiling water, and with a fork, the adult very carefully just mixed the daffodils round in the boiling water until they started to break up. Once the water had cooled enough for the children to safely use it, we added the water and the dandelion slop, I like to call it, into a mixing bowl. Then with the children's help, we added in the flour and the salt and the cream of tartar. Oh, and I nearly forgot we had baking oil in there as well. We had just one tablespoon of baking oil. Baking oil? Was it called baking oil? No, baby oil. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, can you tell it's been a long day? Baby oil. So we added all of that into our bowl and then we just mixed it. And we mixed it until it became a really nice smooth texture. If it's still a little bit sticky at this point, you can add a little bit more flour. And then we just started to knead it with our hands. And it became this lovely mixture that we could just use then with the children. Um, and the natural yellow from the dandelions helped to colour the Play-Doh as well, which was really nice. Now, I have a few random facts here for you all about dandelions. So did you know that dandelions are very, very important because they help to look after the bees? So wherever possible, we don't want to just be taking dandelions from our natural area and taking them away from the bees. The reason we felt that the time was right to make this Play-Doh was because we knew the grass was going to be cut anyway, unfortunately. So we, we picked these just before that happened. Um, so the dandelion wakes up every morning by opening up and then it closes every night to fall asleep. And every single part of a dandelion can be used. It's either edible or it can be used for medicine. And in the 1800s, they used to use a lot of dandelion in their cooking. And they felt that it had so many health benefits as well. 
So it was, it was very popular back then. And because it grows and it comes back each year, it's very successful. I know to some gardeners, it can cause a few problems, but um, really we should, we should promote more, more dandelions. They're actually part of our sunflower family as well. So there you go, a few random facts all about dandelions for you. I always think that it's important that we as educators take the time to extend our own knowledge as well about the natural world that we live in. I know for me when I went to Canada last year, I was completely blown away when I was in the Canadian Rockies with the knowledge that the three and four year olds had of all the wildflowers growing around them. I actually felt quite embarrassed at the time because I didn't know what the flowers were, but the three and four year olds I was with could name every one. So that made me think to myself, right, I need to invest in my own knowledge now and I need to try and learn more about the natural environment. So, um, so yeah, that's what I did. Now with the Play-Doh, I think it's great to take outside and we can use it in such a different way than we do inside. So we're building on the richness that the outside offers us. So having things like your wooden letters that children can use for printing into the Play-Doh, it leaves a mark and then children could maybe decorate that with the flower petals that they collected earlier. Now this lovely idea was inspired from the imagination tree they have just got such a wealth of ideas over on their social media page. So do check them out because I'm constantly um, gaining new ideas from them. And uh, I just wanted to share this one. You might also want to use your Numicon as well. Numicon is lovely to work with in the Play-Doh as it makes a great imprint that children can feel and touch or slice a piece off and then work out how many more or how many less they've got. And I think it's great for young children to be outside. So even if we've not got our own early years garden, you can go out into your natural area, to the local park, to the woods, and start building up collections of objects. I like to collect little boxes, um, bun trays, compartment trays, so that children can use these to collect the things up in that they find. And as you can see with this wooden tray that I got some tea bags in for Christmas, um, it's great. It's a natural 10 frame. So we can use it to develop some of that mathematical language. How many things have you collected? If you collect two more, how many will you have then? If I take two away, how many are you left with? So lots of opportunities to explore maths. With the bun trays, you've got all your doubling and halving. If you're using different sized cardboard boxes, perhaps really teeny tiny ones, you can use lots of predictions. So how many leaves do you think you'll be able to fit in your box? You could even bring in things like your color charts that you would get from your local DIY store and try and do some color matching. So giving children the different color charts and say, right, what can you find that matches this? Now you'll notice the photograph in the top right hand corner has a picture in of one of my favourite books that I go to a lot as an early years educator and it's called Nature's Anatomy and I came across it when I was in Canada and it's just wonderful for helping me develop the knowledge that I need to support the discussions that I have with the young children I work with. 
So if you haven't seen that book, I highly recommend getting it or borrowing it. It's really, really good. Oh, look, there's a picture of it here on this page as well. You can see just how much I love it. So here's another idea for how you could bring some more nature into your play. Collecting fallen petals, fallen um, twigs, fallen leaves, popping them into an ice cube tray, freezing them overnight, and then adding them into your ice play. And again, they look really beautiful. You can see every little bit of detail in the ice cube. You could even have some critical thinking going on. How could you melt the ice so that you can help the flower be released? So lots of um, predicting, exploring, and giving things a go. Another lovely activity that my children have loved doing is some natural threading. So we like to make leaf garlands or leaf bunting. So collecting leaves that we found outside, using a hole punch to make some holes in the leaf and then getting some natural twine and threading it through each of the leaves. Again, you've got lots of opportunities for counting, fine motor control. You could add numbers onto each of the leaves putting the numbers in order, and um, yeah, endless possibilities. So here's just a little bit of a list of some books that you might want to use to support growing in your setting. These are some of my favorites. So we've got a mixture of fiction and nonfiction here. I particularly like the collection of books by the RSPB, which looks at all the different garden creatures that children could come across. So I really like that for supporting children's understanding. Now, I often make up little rucksacks that are themed that the children can use outside. So I might have one around mini beasts where I'll print off some mini beast um, hunter sheets. I might pop in some um, information books about mini beasts, some little bug viewers, some magnifying glasses, a notepad. So that children can pretend they're going off on an adventure to go look for mini beasts and then they can record what they're seeing. So um, yeah, there's just a little idea of something you might want to try. And so that brings us now to the end of our short masterclass today, looking at how you can help young children learn about growing. And it's not just about young children, but it's about us as adults as well, because we need to be passionate about it so that we can take that love for the outdoors and, and help young children to develop it as well. So maybe today you might do something like going into your garden and collecting some of the flowers you've grown and displaying them in a little jam jar on your kitchen table. So thank you very much for joining me for today's webinar, looking at gardening and looking at learning outside. I hope that you found it interesting. I'd love to know if you've got any action points of how you might implement some of today's training in your setting or in your home. Do let me know. You can pop it just into the chat box. I always like to hear. Okay, so for some of you, you have wanted to know more about our Members Hub, wanting to know more about how you can join, if it's for you, what the benefits are. So I thought I would just spend the last couple of minutes talking to you about it now. So our Members Hub, it costs £15 a month and you can pay monthly for it. You are in complete control of your membership as well. 
So if at any point you want to stop your membership, then you can do that. You don't have to send me an email and wait for me to respond. You can just do that instantly. Although I would really love it if you could stick with me and be part of our members hub for a longer amount of time because that's how you're going to start making a difference in your daily practice. So we have our monthly members club. It comes with four core modules, which will help transform your practice in a really quick way. After that, you'll then have access to different modules that will spike your curiosity or your interest, or maybe help you in an area that you're struggling with. So some of those modules are led by myself, others are led by early years professionals, like Nursery Nook, James, he does a module all about loose parts. And then we've got, um, then we have um, Greg Bottrell, author of Can I Go and Play Now, who does a module all about valuing the importance of play. So we've got so much in there and I'd love it if you could join. It'd be really nice to have you. And so if you would like to join, you can um, go to my website, www.whogoingtheearlyears.co.uk and you can follow the link there to set your membership up. Okay, well, I'm going to stick around now for a few more minutes. And if there's anything that you'd like to know about, do just drop me a message in our chat box. and I'd be more than happy to help. Okay.